always sleep on it. In this first series, we explore sleep and how it impacts those with ADHD. Episode 8 I talk to Tony Lloyd from the ADHD Foundation about the amazing work that they do and the impacts of ADHD on daily life. With me now is Tony Lloyd from the ADHD Foundation. Hello, Tony. How are you? Good afternoon, Mark. I'm very well, thank you. First off, tell me what the ADHD Foundation actually does and what your role is within that group. Okay, well, I'm the chief executive of the ADHD Foundation Neurodiversity Charity. Um, We are the largest, I think, user-led organisation in the UK, I think 70 to 80% of our staff are ND, so either dyslexic, ADHD, autistic, dyspraxic, dyscalculic, um, all postgraduate qualified and, and, and highly skilled at what they do. And we deliver projects nationally. Uh, we do a lot of training for the private sector, but also for the health service education sector. And in the northwest of England, we run a unique multimodal, multidisciplinary lifespan strength-based service. That's a bit of a mouthful. That's a mouthful. How on earth did you remember that? (laughs) You said that a few times. I think I've said it that many times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's clearly, you know, a massively important thing, area to work in because, you know, ADHD is becoming such an issue now, isn't it, across society. Mm. How did you get involved in it? Well, I found out at 29 years of age that I had ADHD myself. So I'm, I'm going back 30 years now. Um, when I was in Canada, and I was a, a bright kid, had a bright, you know good IQ, uh, a nice kid. So of course, um, it was never ever picked up at school. Although I was always getting into trouble because I was an A grade student, but always did dreadfully poorly in exams. Um, but I did have some classic ADHD characteristics, which you know again I think was never really understood because when I was a little boy, ADHD was all about naughty boys and fidgety boys, which we know is complete nonsense. And we never thought that successful people had ADHD, like Leonardo da Vinci, for example, or, um, you know, uh, Alexander Graham Bell or Henry Ford. Um, And I think as well now, all the research is telling us about 30% of senior executives and entrepreneurs have either ADHD or dyslexia or both because they frequently co-occur. Nearly half of people with ADHD have got dyslexia. We know that half of people with uh, an autistic mind also have ADHD, but often people, if they're lucky, they, if they ever get one identifier, never mind two. Um, so most of us grow up not knowing that we are processing information differently because that's all we've ever known is how we experience the world. It's like, you know, the child who's struggling at school and and falling behind everybody and being told that they're not trying hard enough or them being told they're not very bright. And actually the reason that they're not keeping up with their classmates is because they're short-sighted. And that child doesn't know that all their other classmates see the world in focus because 
all they've ever known is seeing the whale bleared because they're short-sighted until someone gives them this simple piece of technology that's a pair of spectacles. And now all of a sudden, they are processing visual information in a very different way. So, yeah, I think for me, it was a, a recognition that I thought differently, but I didn't fit that stereotype. Um, and and I just developed a lot of strategies and eventually did my doctorate in ADHD. So became involved in the charity when it was set up in 2007 and initially as chair. And then, of course, the economic crash came the following year. So I ended up stepping down as chair and doing a day a week pro bono and the rest is history and I'm still here. History. <laughs> well, and you're still there. And I think you'll be there for a little while yet by the sounds of things. Um, so presumably your own personal experience is what's sort of driven you to be involved uh, in the foundation. It, there's a lot of stigma, isn't there, still, though, around ADHD, a, a yeah. lot of negativity around, and false information around ADHD across society. Is that something you're, sort of, you're, you're trying hard within the foundation to sort of combat? Yeah, it, much less so now, Mark. I think there's a recognition that ADHD is not about naughty, fidgety boys, that we know that ADHD affects women just as much as men, where we miss the majority of girls and women. We know that... Half of all new adult diagnoses are women, um, as opposed to one girl for every three boys who are diagnosed in childhood. Um, and that it affects just under 6% of the population in the UK, so it's over 2 million people in, in the UK. Um, but only about 220,000 of those 2 million people actually take medication, which is a fraction of, of the number of people that have it because not everybody needs or wants medication. Um, and I think there are many people who've just learned to play to their cognitive strengths and find careers and lifestyles that really work for them, whether that's ADHD or dyslexia or autism or a combination of all of those things. We know that 70% of people who work in media are neurodiverse or neurodivergent, depending on which term you prefer. Mm. Um we know uh, that I think it's something like 54% of people in the construction industry. Uh, we know that there's a really high prevalence of people in performing arts, sport, but you'll find people with ADHD mm. in every profession, barristers, MPs, surgeons, you name it, hiding mm. in plain sight. Mm. And, and one thing that seems to be a common thread across people I've spoken to that, that have ADHD is, is the impact on their sleep. Now, is that something that affects you? What's oh, your yes. sleep experience with ADHD? <laughs> oh, you, you sound like you've got some titles uh, and tales to tell there. Yeah. Um, well, I think the thing about ADHD is, this, I mean, there's a lot of injury myths, Mark, this idea that you can't concentrate. You, you can concentrate, but it's got to be something that at a very instinctive neurological level captivates you. But... The problem with ADHD is not so much an attention deficit as it is an attention surplus. It's a bit like being in a living room with six televisions on, but you can't watch the channel you want to watch because you can't filter out the other five televisions. Um, and I think it was Ned Halliwell who described it as having a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. Your mind, <laughs> your mind doesn't work in a yeah, it doesn't work in a linear fashion. It almost works in a kaleidoscopic fashion. You have denser synaptic connections in the part of the brain that deal with visual memory. So I could forget where I've left my keys this morning, but I can go to a city that I've not been to for 20 years and remember my way around. I have great visual memory. 
visual imagery memory. And I can see potential and possibilities in, in, in lots of different ways. It's this lateral thinking. Um, and of course, the challenge when you want to go to sleep, even though you're exhausted, is that your brain is still going at 100 miles an hour. So even though you're physically exhausted, your brain is still uh, going off at all kinds of tangents. And that's one of the reasons why it is. I think it's associated with creativity and entrepreneurship and workaholism, because even if you're not physically hyperactive, often your brain is. So um, it's, uh, it's a bit of a challenge when it comes to trying to get to sleep at night. And what kind of strategies have you found that work for you in dealing with sleep? Um, if I'm particularly stressed because it's been a tough day at work, I will do something called progressive muscle relaxation. Uh, there's some really good short videos of that on YouTube where you just tense every muscle group in your body, beginning with your toes, holding it for 10 seconds till it really hurts and then gently relaxing. And then working your way up through each muscle group mark, right through to your face. Um, so it completely relaxes your body. And breathing more slowly at about five hertz, so in for six seconds, out for six seconds, that seems to slow down processing along the vagal nerve and seems to slow down your mind in a way that can help you get to sleep. And if I'm still struggling to get to sleep, I'll use an audio book. Sometimes white noise like that helps. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard sort of soundscapes are quite quite a popular thing as well. Presumably the, the, the progressive muscle relaxation is all about taking your focus and your mind off the fact that you can't sleep or maybe the negative Im sort of images and thoughts that you're having while you're trying to sleep. It's about focusing your mind elsewhere to give your body a chance to just calm down a little bit and, and get to sleep. Yeah, and it also utilizes the energy from stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline because if you've had a very busy day or you are inclined to elevated levels of stress hormones because you need them to help you stay focused and concentrate, then you need to deplete the level of those stress hormones in your bloodstream. And a good way to do that is through that progressive muscle relaxation mm. where you're using up any excess energy that's in your uh, mm. in your bloodstream. You talked about the uh, the issues previously um, with the, the, the financial issues, you know, the, the world of the country experienced. Did COVID have much of an impact as well to people with sleep challenges and, and ADHD? Because, you know, that, that, that must have had quite an impact on people. It's hard enough um, for, for everyone to, to, to deal with lockdown and being constrained with what they could and couldn't do. But did, did people with ADHD find that particularly difficult, do you think? Oh, Mark, absolutely. In, in quite, I think, an, an unexpected way. I think the thing to remember here is that in about 80% of people with ADHD, more, have have lived all their lives with ADHD, never having been identified at school, never having been diagnosed, because the only children that ever were diagnosed were the ones that the teachers found annoying in school, basically. Um, and if you were underachieving, when you were just considered as low ability or not trying, nobody never cared to anybody that maybe you had a different way of processing information. And because say ADHD often co-occurs with autism and dyslexia, there's it's not always quite what it seems. What we do as adults is 
we choose lifestyles and careers that play to our cognitive strengths. And we develop these routines and structures. So for me, it was always about getting up at a certain time. I'd get up early. Uh, I would meditate for a little bit. I would go for a walk. I would come back. I would sit down. I would have my little routine with my to-do list, which I still use despite having reminders on my smartphone and laptop and a PA and a whiteboard and a flip chart and everything else. Um, But what happened in the pandemic was all of these structures and routines that people had were just taken away from them because lockdown meant they couldn't go to the gym. Um, They couldn't necessarily go out exercising. Um, They couldn't interact with other people. They were having to work from home. They were perhaps having to rely much more on technology in a way that they'd not done before. Um, maybe even homeschooling, um, just dealing with that lack of movement when you're confined to the house. All of those things, I think, impacted on a lot of people. And what we saw was a lot of people not only had lockdown anxiety, as we all kind of had, um, but this sense of not really being able to cope with these changes and then trying to explore why were they struggling with certain things or acknowledging the fact that they struggle with those things all over, but never as much as they did in lockdown and then started asking questions about, well, why am I struggling with this? Why am I struggling with that? And, you know, I think whenever there's a vacuum of decent quality information, obviously people go on the internet, they look for information. Um, and also I think by that time, We'd started to destigmatize ADHD. The acronym is really unhelpful um, and it doesn't really describe what it is. And I think those three core conditions of inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, they, I mean, they sound quite trivial, don't they? I think, oh, so, you, so you're a bit impulsive and a bit forgetful and a bit hyperactive. What's the big deal? But actually, for some people, if you're not managing your ADHD well and then something happens that is really stressful, it can really tip you over the edge. I mean, for children, it's I think in school, ADHD is really, really hard for kids, uh, you know, and, and I think there should be a lot more compassion. Often the, the, the premise, isn't it, was with the child disrupting the class. No, they're not. The reason they're moving about is because the brain's natural way of producing more dopamine to help you concentrate is to move. So it's Stopping children from moving is completely counterintuitive. Human evolution did not design children to be sat still. Um, and I think for, you know, for a lot of people during lockdown, those changes really made them reflect on, you know, things like executive functioning skills, memory, planning, organization, prioritizing, self-regulation, emotional regulation, self-monitoring, where if you grow into self-managing ADHD and acquiring different strategies, you kind of do it over a period of time. But when all those strategies and resources are taken off you in one go, you really notice how you've actually managed it without realizing it. And often self-medicated through excess amounts of caffeine, 
self-medicated with excess amounts of exercise because exercise can be really addictive as well. Um, sugar, food can all act as stimulants on your brain. So I think for a lot of people, it was a wake-up call. And, and I think particularly in terms of people's emotional regulation and low mood. Now, you've talked quite a bit about children um, and the experience that they mm. perhaps have at school. And it's it, it's often said, isn't it, that children who've perhaps got sleep, who've got ADHD have actually been diagnosed with sleep deprivation. Um, is that still happening? Or is that something that's hopefully getting less? Or or or, or are we starting to improve the situation on diagnosis in, uh, in early years? Um, you don't get so many diagnoses of sleep deprivation now in children. Um, we know uh, that children with ADHD uh, and what's called dopaminergic dysregulation and noradrenergic dysregulation, these two of the major neurotransmitters in the brain, we know it affects um, sleep. We know it affects a sense of time. So a lot of people with ADHD sort of use the term that they're time blind. They're late for everything. Um, I, I And I know myself that I if I'm busy doing something, hours can pass and it feels like 10 minutes. And if it's something that I really don't enjoy doing, 10 minutes can feel like an hour. Your sense of time is distorted. One of the interesting things about medication I find for myself is that time moves a little bit more slowly, um, as well as obviously I'm retaining more memory. But also we know that the circadian rhythms in the brain and the utility of a hormone called melatonin, which helps to regulate our body's natural sleep cycle, we know that that's also disrupted in, in ADHD neurology and also sometimes in an autistic neurotype. Um, and melatonin um, helps your body regulate its sense of when it's time to go to bed, when it's time to wake up in the morning. So if your melatonin um, uh, synthesis is disrupted, then that's also going to impact on your ability to get a good night's sleep. Now, now you did mention medications. That's something I want to pick up with you, actually, because there's been word that, uh, is it Elvans is one of the most popular medications that's, that's used for, for ADHD. Um, and I've heard that there's a shortage of that. Is that true to your knowledge? Uh, and if so, what's that going to be like for people? How, how can you, can people with ADHD manage uh, that experience? You're right, Mark. There has been a shortage of Elvance, which is a precursor medication. It's uh, one of the most popular in uh, the UK. Um, it becomes active when it interacts with enzymes in your stomach. Um, but there are other ADHD medications that are um, what's called stimulant medications. Um, methylphenidate is the compound and that lasts for eight hours. And there are several different brands of the same compound that people just couldn't get hold of. But it wasn't just ADHD medications, there were a number of other types of medications. So I don't think it was just about ADHD medications at all. Um, I think there are some other issues involved in this. I do know that um, 
some of the shortage is attributed to the fact that the number of people taking ADHD medications in the UK has increased a lot over the past couple of years. It's now 210,000. But I mean, it's a fraction of the 8 million people who take antidepressants, for example. So it's not like there's this epidemic mm. of people who suddenly all started taking ADHD medication, and that's why there was a shortage. Um, but I think globally, there have been some um, supply chain issues around ADHD medications. Um, the short-acting ones were still available, but you can't take an alternative without, because it's a class B medication, you've got to get permission from a, a consultant mm -hmm. to try or use something different. And it's caused a lot of people a lot of uh, difficulty. It's been really tough for kids in school, um, you know, because as adults, we can get up and move about when we want. We can go to the toilet when we want. And we have a little bit more control over our day and the choices we make and things like that. In schools, it's much more difficult for children. Um, and emotional regulation, you know, for children who are easily upset or get anxious because we know that anxiety in children with ADHD is really high, as it is with children with autism. And there's obviously a huge genetic overlap between ADHD and autism. So the ADHD medication shortage has been a real problem over the past five, six months. Um, I am assured, having spoken to all the major pharma companies over the past couple of months uh, repeatedly, that this situation should be resolved by January 2025. And hopefully it's not something that will ever happen again. Mm. It's very difficult, isn't it? And that has presumably impacts on every aspect of, of life, not just sleep, but mm -hmm. people's emotional well-being, their ability to concentrate at work, at school, wherever they are. Yeah. And is that something that, that you work with people on? Is, is the impact of ADHD on those other areas of their life as well? Absolutely, yeah. I think... Um, it's also about context, Mark. I mean, there are many people I find in work, it, my job is much less stressful and much more productive when I take medication. Um, there are a lot of people who would struggle to do their job at all. So that affects their economic independence, their ability to live. Um, some people really do need medication to function. Children in school really do need medication if they're not going to find school completely overwhelming. Um, different contexts uh, demand different things from us. So, yes, we've been doing a lot of work with a lot of agencies and a lot of resources on the website around how to manage ADHD successfully, not just with medication because they say the majority of people don't use medication and and don't want to use medication or, or you know and that's absolutely fine of course it is um but for some of us that do it's it's a really important part of our self-care and and healthy kind of uh lifestyle routine but integral to all of that you know adhd medication should never be used on its own it should be used as an adjunct to a, a range of strategies mark such as daily brisk exercise don't have to be a an athlete you can go for a brisk walk two or three times a day daily stress reduction strategies like progressive muscle relaxation deep breathing yoga mindfulness you can go for a mindfulness walk you don't have to sit cross-legged to you know, to meditate and also good nutrition. You know, it's really important. People say, well, I'm not hungry in the morning. I always say, well, actually, it's got nothing to do with whether you're hungry or not. You eat when you get up because your brain needs energy and it can't get energy without food. So forget whether you're hungry or not. 
have a breakfast, preferably with some protein in it, like beans or tuna or cheese or nuts, because the energy that we get from protein lasts longer throughout the day. If you need to graze so that you're constantly giving yourself energy, um, nutrition, exercise, um, stress reduction, um, yeah, and and of course, good sleep. Uh, and we always we always recommend omegas because there's something about an ADHD and an autistic brain where we don't metabolize long chain fatty acids particularly well. Um, and your brain is made up of sixty percent long chain fatty acids. So every day, uh, omega three and six combination for me is an absolute you know absolute essential. Always has been. But I think with medication, you know, it, it's not a neurological eldorado. It doesn't change everything that's happened in your life or change your personality. It simply helps your brain function so that when you are trying to make lifestyle changes and make them habitual so they become part of your daily routine, it's much easier to do that when you're using medication. Clearly, you know your stuff when it comes to ADHD. There's a couple of sort of, I'll say myths that I often see floating around about ADHD. They might be myths, they might not be myths. Um, but I'm wondering if you can bust those myths for. So the first one I see a lot of is that people with ADHD can't focus. And not I think true. you alluded to an answer there before. So what do you think about that? Not true. You can hyper-focus. I have a lot of parents say to me, can't, can't concentrate to do his homework, but he can focus on a computer game for two hours. But what they don't realise is that how that computer game impacts on your brain is what maintains your focus in the same way that the colours and the design of what's on our smartphone screens stimulates the production of dopamine. So it makes scrolling almost a bit addictive on your phone. Um, People with ADHD can concentrate. There are lots of people with ADHD. You've got lots of degrees and PhDs. It is about being able to focus on something that at a very instinctive level has relevance and interest for you. Um, and I'll be quite honest with you, Mark, there are some things that I find so mind-numbingly boring. Um, but also there are simple things, you know, I mean, I, I, at home, sort of, you know, my partner will say, did you bring that basket in from the hall? I say, what basket? And there is this big basket there I'm just not even <laughs> notice it's 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 it, there's a term called object permanence and it means that sometimes if it's not in front of you you don't remember it um is I have a cue dependent memory so I have lots and lots of things to stimulate information recall for me but you know people with ADHD can concentrate but it it, it again the context and the task that requires the concentration is a key factor and it's distractibility. So I know, for example, if I've got a lot to do or a huge report to write, I've got to do it at home on my own. If I'm in the office, then distractions are such that I'll never get it complete. Mm. You answered that superbly. So here's the next one for you. ADHD people are lazy. ADHD affects one in 20 people. Dyslexia, one in 10. Autism, 20, 67. Dyscalculia, one in 10. Dyspraxia, one in 10. You do the maths, that's about 20% at least of humankind. So I was just seven and a half million mm. people on this planet. 
one in five of us have one of these different minds. There's got to be an evolutionary reason why one and a half billion people have got these different minds. There's got to be a universal design to why we have one in 10 human beings, 10% of the human race who are dyslexic. And we know that dyslexia and ADHD often co-occur in the same way that autism and ADHD ADHD co-occur. So this idea that people with ADHD are lazy uh, is another myth. It's that stigmatizing moral kind of weakness that's implied, isn't it? It's the same thing about, you know, I use the same analogy. The child who isn't learning and achieving in school is not because we're not teaching them the right way. It's because there's something wrong with them or they're not trying hard enough. We abdicate responsibility too easily sometimes for why something doesn't work. And we know that a lot of people with ADHD experience real prejudice and discrimination and inequality of access to the NHS because there is this notion that there's some kind of, they're less deserving because they've got ADHD, because there's some kind of moral weakness attached to ADHD. And you know what? We used to do the same thing, didn't we, about any minority community. Um, We used to describe people of colour in this country right up until the late 50s as educationally subnormal. Uh, And we used research samples that reinforced that bias and ignorance. We used to label LGBTQ people up until the 80s as mentally ill in the diagnostic medical manuals. Um, We referred to people who were autistic and ADHD as disordered. They're not. These are naturally occurring variations in human neurocognitive capability. They affect one in five of humankind, there must be an evolutionary reason. Yes, they come with their challenges. Um, But in the same way, I would say to somebody who had diabetes, for example, well, look, you've got diabetes, you've got to have this kind of lifestyle, this kind of diet. If you don't, you're going to become very ill, you could die. Well, helping people understand themselves and how they experience the world. And the fact that some people experience the world and process information in a different way doesn't make them disordered and it doesn't make them less than. What we do suffer from is ignorance and stigma and prejudice. Living with ADHD isn't a cakewalk in modern society, but there are some contexts and certain lifestyles where it can be a real asset You learn to play to your strengths, Um, but the ignorance and stigma around it, um, you know, we've done that, haven't we, for for decades and decades. It's almost like there's a minority group over there and we justify why we exclude them by implying that they're somehow less deserving, whatever it might be. Uh, and and I think you know things like lazy and it's nonsense. Procrastination can be an issue with ADHD, but that's mm. not lazy. There's a difference that's in there between the two. Difficulty with task initiation, which is a very different thing altogether. A lot of people with ADHD suffer from fatigue because being hyperactive, you burn up a lot of energy. If you've not eaten and your body doesn't have food for energy, you can have periods during the day where you feel quite tired. And that's why a lot of people with ADHD have sugar in their tea or eat chocolate (laughs) a lot or or graze food all day because they've got that constant energy Mm. supply. But the problem, of course, as you know, with a a carbohydrate-based diet is your energy levels jump up and down and it can really affect your mood as well. 
um, sooner it's a myth. Something I would love to explore with you is that statement about the evolution. And it's interesting mm. because throughout our history, human beings' history, we've evolved essentially through survival of the fittest where various different sort of uh, characteristics are beneficial for survival. Because we live in such an artificial world now, we just don't have that need for survival that we used to have with predators just around the corner. And perhaps it's interesting that actually the, the, the evolutionary changes are coming from a different aspect now, from a neurological aspect. I think that human intelligence is so profound, isn't it? We only know a, a fraction of what the human genome is capable of and our brains. But, uh, you know, in the same way that nature has created seven and a half billion people, not one of whom looks the same or sounds the same, every one of whom has a brain as unique as their fingerprint, then diversity of mind is the universal design. For some reason, nature needs that diversity in order for us to thrive and adapt and evolve as a species. Um, and I think that our notion of, you know, normal or abnormal, I think is, again, born of this idea that, well, you know, you, you, this is the best way. We used to make left-handed children sit on their left hand, didn't we? Because somebody somewhere said, mm. you all got to write with your right hand. Well, says who, you know? So, yeah, I, I think it is an evolutionary, there's a reason why human beings are all different and diverse, different colours, different heights, different interests, different talents. That's the beauty of, of, of humankind. And the day that everybody is the same is going to be a very boring world and nothing will happen. We will wither and die. Um, I think people with ADHD bring something wonderful to the world. Quite agree. Now, one more question for you. If you could share mm. one top tip to our listeners around ADHD and sleep, what would your one tip be? Self-care, self-compassion, learn how ADHD impacts on you because we're all different with a sum of many things um, and it's not always a one-size-fits-all. It's about what works for you. Explore that and if you need to, seek guidance. That's wonderful. Well, Tony, it's been an utter pleasure talking to you. So that's Tony Lloyd from the ADHD Foundation. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thanks a lot, Mark. got our own sensory moment in audio form with an immersive soundscape especially composed to provide calm for those with ADHD. To learn more, go to thesleepcharity.org.uk.
Thank <laughs> you.